As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to yet another very special episode of Football and Grits. Brody, I feel like we need to have... uh, low tones and a very neat lesson at the end of this show <laughs> uh, uh not unlike the shows of our yesteryear brody are you are you old enough to have watched family matters and full house i'm scared for the answer to this question the answer is yes but like because okay. i watch the reruns on abc family and like nick at night all the time it didn't hit I, as hard no i watched i grew i watched it constantly but i will not okay i watch any of them live no uh, all Family Matters, by the way, is still on Hulu. Um, Dude, anyway, slap. The best. Yeah. it's fantastic. Um, guys, it's uh, a lot of bowl games, 11 to be exact, with one uh, technical bowl game. I don't count the national championship as a bowl game, but whatever. <clears throat> still on the way. Uh, we got a lot to get to, but we should probably start with the game that has not happened yet, Brody. Georgia, uh, I'm working on a story this week, uh, another coaching confidential Uh, like we did for Georgia and Tennessee. Um, But I was looking at some numbers. Brody, this is the largest spread since the advent of the BCS. Since we've had a national championship game, there has never been a bigger one than this game. Not even like Georgia. I mean, not even like Alabama, Notre Dame. No, Alabama, Notre Dame was 10 points. Uh, Ohio State, Miami was 10 or 11 points. But it's never been higher than 11. And it's 13 and a half. I know. I was surprised. I was but surprised. at the same time, I believe it, right? Because Georgia sure. feels like a team that has 100% proven itself, even though that game was tricky. And like TCU is a team that even when they are blowing us away, there is just this element of nothing feels that contained. Nothing feel, It mm-hmm. feels like a free-for-all in a lot of ways every game. And by the way, like, I'm just – I'm saying all this to say I am just training myself. Like, stop – like. At some point, you're doing it enough that you're good at it. And it's like, like mm-hmm. part of me, we'll get to our actual predictions on this game, but I just have to give TCU the credit because we are now at a point where they've seen them play so many different types of teams, so many good teams, and keep, I don't know, like they are able to produce offensively and win different ways. So credit to them. It is really interesting, and and <clears throat> it's not up yet. I would encourage folks when it's up, it should be up to tomorrow, it. to read it. I haven't finished writing it yet. Uh, I wrote about 20% of it this morning. And then it turns out, Brody, uh, 
having a child is somewhat of an all-encompassing enterprise. Yeah. And so uh, <laughs> so I was messing around with her today. Uh, anyway, so we'll get to it. It'll be up tomorrow. Got I'll some finish time. it this afternoon. Uh, but one of the really interesting things that one of the coaches that I talked to, because I, I have to tell you, Brody, I was very happy because I kind of had the idea to do the coaches um, confidential. I was very happy that it was Big 12 versus SEC because – I know a lot of coaches in the Big 12. I know a lot of coaches in the SEC. Yes. This was not that hard to put together. I put some texts out, some calls out, and by yesterday afternoon, we were good. So, But one of the things that one of the coaches told me was, he's like, you know, TCU is what we call schemers in yes. that they, oh, they do their things. They have their sort of calling cards. He's like, but more than anyone that we've played, he's like, you watch them and what TCU does is they look for teams' weaknesses, and then they just attack that. Whereas, so like Tennessee is a really good example. Yep. Tennessee's offense is not going to change whether they're playing Ball State, uh, you know, Savannah State, or Georgia. They're going to do what they do, and we're going to, you know, we're going to spread you out. We're going to run it. We're going to throw it over your head. That's what they do. He's like, but TCU, he's like, they, they watch and they look for what they want to attack. He's like, and then they just attack it. Um, yeah. They'll hit your weaknesses over and over. So that's why you've seen them do some different things. And so the problem, Brody, is when you start running up against Georgia, uh, there's not a lot of weaknesses. <laughs> They're very good at football, uh, which happens. And so that will be uh, very interesting. Um, but I, I'm fascinated with this matchup. I think both sides of the ball are interesting. I will be out in L.A. this week. I leave on Friday um, to go uh, cover this ball game. And um, – you know, I think certainly TCU, like they have been all season, will have plenty of doubters. Uh, most of the coaches are are um, leaning Georgia. There's a good amount of TCU disrespect in yeah. our coaches' confidential, the guys that I've talked to this week. But in the same breath, there's a lot of people who are like, don't count out TCU. Don't count out TCU. So I want to ask you this, and you can either answer this from what you talk to coaches about or just your own opinion also. But, like, I think we thought Georgia – right, okay, let's go back. Tennessee was the team we thought would be able to do it because they can – they'd be able to beat Georgia because they can spread you out. And basically they just – first off, they kind of did more than people think, but it was already a blowout. But anyway, and then Ohio State is doing the same thing Tennessee was kind of doing and I think, in their game plan – but just with better personnel, right? Just like C.J. Stroud and and better, you know, the best receivers, even though Tennessee has them too. And they just executed probably a similar thing of spread you out and try to win things downfield one-on-ones. And I'm curious, like, TCU does not have the talent and, like, the court, even though I love Max Duggan, like, the true, like, just pick you apartism of, of, of maybe an Ohio State. But at the same time, they are one of the best at scheming you, spreading you out. Like, I'm curious where you stand or where some of these people stand on that, where it's like, yes, I think the last game showed you Georgia's secondary can get beaten these one-on-ones and can get spread out and scheme. But is TCU the team? I, I, I don't know the answer. Well, you got to find ways to do it. Um, <clears throat> so TCU has, from the from from what I've seen and from talking to coaches, I think TCU's got two real options. Yeah to try and crack this Georgia nut because number one, you have to protect and there's two ways to do that. Yeah, that gets left yeah, out. Yeah. Easier said than done. Ohio state ran a ton of tempo. I had multiple coaches say Ohio state doesn't run tempo, but they went yeah. a lot of tempo to tire okay. them out. And that takes a little bit of the edge off of the rush. Don't let Jalen Carter get manned up on a guard. 
or he's going to just eat your lunch. Yes. He did that to Tennessee. That was a problem. Um, but have a, and then they said a, a lot, like Ohio State had a ton of six and seven man protections because it doesn't matter what you do. And, and Ohio State has the luxury of having a ton of good receivers that when mm-hmm. you are going six and seven man protection, and when you've got maybe four on seven in the secondary, that they can still get open. Yeah. TCU's Stroud, doesn't have quite the same most amount of the of talent, success was Stroud, like, Taking his time and running plays. around, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. extending so. plays and making some plays outfield, and obviously Duggan can do that. Yeah. Um, so Quentin Johnston, a guy that's a singular talent, probably a first round pick. You know what can Georgia do to limit him? You know they're going to have some answers for him, of course. And then, and then obviously you want to even up the numbers game, and that you use the quarterback run game, make them account for him on every single play. I think you're. I think most of the coaches said, I think you're going to see them run Duggan as much as they have for one Duggan, you know, for him to be healthy at this point in the season, like multiple coaches were like, I don't know how he's still healthy because he's got, he's like, he's the toughest player in the country. Like he takes a beating almost every game and he gets back up and all that stuff. I think it, you know, might be something to do with TCU's connection with ginger quarterbacks. I'm not sure. There might be something in there. Um, So I think that's where TCU has some answers. Now, can you do all of those things or any of those things? We'll see. But it's not like there's no route for TCU to be able to move yeah, the ball. No. And there, there's there's some things that you can do. Now, can doing them and do doing them is is two different things. But because um, it's I'm, like you just got to find a way. If, if you you got to find a way, I think it comes down to a couple things. You got to protect Duggan. He's got to have some clean pockets, and yeah. you can't just get mowed over uh, on the other side of the ball. You got to be able to slow down their running game and make sense and bend it, throw the ball down the field. Yeah, because it's like I can convince myself of two different things. Because as Sean D points out, like Georgia, Georgia doesn't have like an incredible pass rush, but a lot of that's by design, right? Like they aren't sending a bunch of guys. They're playing a very smart, controlled style of pass rush. Don't let Hendon you. Hooker kind of... might disagree with you on that, but yes. Yeah, you're right. But <laughs> the whole it's been this whole conversation this year of like Georgia's pass rush stats aren't that great, and it's like they're not trying to be super aggressive most of the time. But it's like. And I think all that at times against Ohio State, too. I don't think they were sending the house or anything like that. So it's like, but Ohio State, to your point earlier, has the receivers to be like, yeah, maybe you're dropping more guys in coverage sometimes, but you can win that. While TCU probably doesn't have that. But on the other hand, I talk myself into you, the key is Max Duggan, like scrambling around and making plays and, and making something out of having time. And that is his specialty. That is what he's here for. So it's like I, I look at this and this is just to get inside baseball. Yeah, the spread's 13. I think most of the analytics that I trust, and there's a few different out there, but all of them put it around that 9-10 zone. So it's mm-hmm. like I kind of like TCU from that perspective, like a betting perspective. I do think this is much more of a game than you'd think, but I think the other side of the ball has to be like where Georgia – because what we're talking about, TCU's offense versus Georgia defense, that's going to be fun. We're looking forward to the other side – I worry could ruin this game in the sense that Georgia's offense does like what they did to Ohio state as that game went on, what they've done throughout the year, Georgia's offense when they need to are kind of juggernaut E like they have been able to just manhandle teams when they need to offensively. And Mm -hmm. I think TCU's defense is much better than people think, but they're still not a defense that is necessarily like a, a national title team defense. So it is going to be really interesting because I won't be shocked at all if Georgia puts up 49. I won't. Yeah, it'll be on the other side of the ball, you know, Georgia's offense against this defense. It will be you hear mixed things about okay, right, how yeah. much has Stetson Bennett seen of this? Because Mississippi State runs the most like clear three three five. It's closest to the West Virginia stack, 
when you talk to coach and they're like, actually, like what Arkansas and Ole Miss do is actually closer to what TCU does, where it almost morphs into more of a three-two-six. And they said it, like two yeah. things are really interesting is that when you see that alignment and you look at TCU's players and you see they don't have that, you know, a couple two ninety guys up front that just, you know, he's like everything in your brain says run the ball between the tackles, but they're very good at forcing some some weird angles, freeing up a yeah. tackler and getting defenses because of their angle, because of their alignment. He's like they can get defense or get offenses to waste a blocker where either a tackle Ooh. or a guard or a receiver or a tight end is sort of sitting there with nothing to do. And because of the way that they've aligned it and fit the runs, that they've got a free tackler, essentially. He's yeah. like, that's how they're so good at what they do, is because they know how to how to do that against teams that want to try and mash them. Michigan, people forget, you know, people were talking about the whole month was like Michigan's gonna mash them. Pound the ball, yeah. They get the 60-yard run on the first play. I think they had about hundred yards the rest of the game. And you saw them do a lot. Now, granted, some of that's some of that's game flow, like they're behind and all that stuff. But but, but when they needed to run, the they struggled to. Like those moments where yes. they needed to get a few yards, they couldn't. Yeah, exactly. And because CCU is very good at that, and so it helps them play above their uh, above their uh, weight class. And then in the passing game, you know, it's a it's a lot of getting the quarterback's eyes to lie to you. And it's like when you've repped, you know, four two five and you know, bear and under and all these different alignments a thousand times, but you haven't repped this sort of three, three, five that, 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 uh, that TCU runs that is more of a three, two, six. When you look at their personnel, mm-hmm. more defensive backs, because that's how the, the, the big 12 is. He's like, it can get you to when you haven't repped that a thousand times, like you okay. saw JJ McCarthy, two pick sixes, nobody in the big 10 runs this. That was very foreign to him, and when you're when it's live and you're on a big stage, you can get that to, to happen. So it's going to be a really fascinating chess match, just schematically, um, because again, like TCU, like they have bucked so many trends, and you should listen to the a very special episode of the Stars Matter today, uh, Ari's intervention, because I think TCU is forcing us to reassess a lot of things about college football. And I don't think it's necessary. Let's not get to the point where, hey, let's not be a stars don't matter crew because it's not. not. But there, and I thought Ari and uh, and Andy did a really good job sort of talking about this live after the games. And I think it's a really interesting conversation, quite frankly, for the next eight months of because the composition of your roster is so different in 2022 when you talk about transfers, um, mostly transfers, quite frankly, yep. um, and how you build and how you add guys and the things that you lose and teams might not be, you know, uh, quite as talented as they might look on paper. And other yep. teams like TCU, Kansas State's a good good example, might be more talented than they look on paper. Sometimes the talent composite ratings might be lying to you a little bit, a yep. little bit. I mean, even look and at so that's, that's, like that's, that's, that's Yes. And so that's all it's all very interesting, but they're gonna be talking about that today on, on Stars Matter. The show will not be changed to Stars Don't Matter. But <laughs> today's Ari's intervention. Uh, I, I have not listened to it, but I have to I cannot wait. It's, yeah. it's, it's quite entertaining. Um, but obviously TCU personifies that. I think you know we've talked on this show about it. I've I reference it all the time, but TCU is just for them making the playoff is bucking a lot of the blue chip ratio. And Cincinnati did that a year ago, but winning a game and getting to the national championship, much less if TCU finds a way to win this game, will buck decades and decades of data that we have known and how college football doesn't necessarily have the kind of parity that you see in the NFL because the talent gaps are so wide. They're just in 
uncharted territory right now. And by default, the rest of the sport is also in uncharted territory as we've seen all these changes. Yeah, it's true. And it's like, you're right. I don't want to overreact because in reality, this is probably still more of a, an outlier to the rule and things like that. Like in a lot of ways, what TCU does is play high variance football and that's going to lead to high variance Mm -hmm. results. And like they won their percentage points a lot more than like you would have guessed right like i believe like I seven one score games yes exactly. that's the ultimate thing and just like when you're in these kind of free-flowing chaotic games yeah it's gonna mean a lot of the times you lose some games you shouldn't but for them this year broke right like that is ability that is coaching that is uh i don't know cojones like all those things to be able to find ways to win those but i don't think it's gonna tell us too much but it does like I'm arguing with myself it is going to bring up an interesting thing is next year's because yeah, look at Alabama this year. They looked like they were going to be a juggernaut. We thought this was going to be, I thought this was going to be the best Alabama team and it didn't work out that way. And so many other teams you've mentioned that they just, Georgia really is kind of the only team that like just should be that good. And by the way, A&M obviously is the other one should be that good and, and isn't. So I think that is something we need to follow and something, but it like, I think what gets lost in all of this before we move on is like stars always have matter and always will matter, but there have always in the history of college football been teams in the top five that don't do well. Like in the end mm-hmm. of the day, it's how good of a program runner are you? It's how mm-hmm. good are you coaching and development? That's not, ne- that's not a change and that's not new. And that wasn't something like stars mattered, mattered in 1972, even though we wouldn't have rivals yet. And it stars mattered now. But guess what? Like Texas under Herman and even like all these teams, like they always like even the end of the uh, Mac era, like they always recruited top five classes. They fell off. And LSU has like this long variance in that. You can see like this. It's just are you good at it or not? And that's why we talked with Seth about this. Like what makes Georgia special isn't that they recruited amazingly because guess what mark rick recruited really well too i believe maybe not kirby's level but it's what makes kirby amazing is that he has been able to so quickly build a culture of each year they all get to their maximum level that's Mm -hmm. great programs and that's what nick saban has done so i'm i'm more just stream of thought here but yeah i just think i don't think it's ever going to change the stars matter but also it's never going to change is it's just are you good at this job or not Maybe the new name of the show will be Stars Matter, parentheses, slightly less in the transfer portal era. Not <laughs> snappy, but... Stars Matter, but, like, you know, there's other context. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I think we should go with it. Uh, but I'm, I'm fascinated to see this game, and I think, too, you know, obviously Kirby Smart, the concept of having really well-coached, disciplined players who also play really hard. I mean, that's that's going to be part of kind of what I write about as well in the coaching confidential Looking is... Forward to it. It always comes up when people talk about Georgia's. It's like the talent is obvious, but you know, AM has similar levels of talent. But they just play unbelievably hard. The guys know what they're doing. They don't have busts, like all yeah. that other stuff. So um, it's gonna be a good title game. But Brody, let's get into the SEC's bowl season. And I will encourage anyone uh, listening to the show. Um, hey, if you got any questions, if you got any comments, let's hear them. Um, yeah, because we got time, it's a free we got time to show. take them. It oh, is Vin a very free flowing show, which I've heard family is everything. Um, Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Brody, overall, the SEC goes 6-5 and five in bowl season. Which feels... Uh, misleading we're gonna yeah there's just so many results that you're like there are a lot of there are more duds than there are oh crap they did it you know yeah yeah like so i don't i don't i'm not a big okay i've always been this is tough for us because we both are like bulls don't really tell us much right i've always been skeptical of like oh we're gonna take the bull record and we're going to extrapolate that as like another measure of conference strength that if you use, we've said this too many times on the show but if you catch somebody using bowls as a legitimate measurement of anything like as an aggregate you are telling on yourself to me that you don't really like know what you're talking about but continue yeah uh so that i think i've always been tentative and now in the opt-out era we're truly kind of beyond the pale of like it's all about doobie context yeah doobie matters doobie was absolutely on fire yeah. uh uh this this bowl season the doobie index was truly the only reliable metric i think we saw in the bowls. honestly uh and so i think like just context matters with the bowls like context 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 like is oregon state 27 points better than florida no not real florida Ooh. Is is could Kentucky you know not manage to score yeah. against Kentucky's Iowa the best Oklahoma example? Seconds? Yeah, it's like no, not really. Kentucky uh, was and then so you look depleted. at yeah. yeah, and it's like, and then you look at you know LSU and Purdue. Yes. Like Purdue had a lot of their personnel, but like content. LSU was probably going to win that game, but that game was a this was this year's version of Texas uh, of Kansas State LSU last year. Where yes, LSU very played with much. Thirty eight so. players and just got annihilated. It's the same thing. It's just like Purdue was nothing. So that game tells you so little. Go on. Yes, uh, I I do. I will say, uh, watching the first quarter, when I saw some of the Purdue tackling attempts, and I say that that's a generous term. I was yeah. like, Oh no. Oh no. That tells you every, when you watch the bowls, if you, if you want to look the best indicator and the most, uh, the most heavily weighted metric in the doobie index is tackling in the first quarter. And Oh boy, <laughs> Purdue, we need, we, somebody needs to make a Purdue super cut of the tackling attempts because <laughs> Ryan Walters, that's going to be his, just like he gets used <laughs> all spring, man. Yeah. Oh, man. But I knew it was going to be a long day. Yeah, it's just like there aren't many SEC wins. And again, we both know we're not making much of this, but there really weren't many SEC wins. I think Tennessee-Clemson was an impressive win. Mm-hmm. Um, but there aren't many that you're like, you went up against an equal opponent and you convincingly impressed me. Like, there's just not. Yeah, like Arkansas-Kansas is probably one of the up better ones. But even that's like, I don't know if that's like, man, Arkansas proved me. That was just a wild, insane game. 
I think really, like, honestly, if you ask me right now, I mean, Mississippi State, Illinois, I think we'd all agree was one of the ugliest games of the year. So it's like mm-hmm. Mississippi State, good for you. But it's not like I'm like, Mississippi State went and did it. So, and then Bama. Bama played really well. I think you got to give Bama credit. So it's really Bama and Tennessee are the only two I point to and being like, SEC showed out. The rest yeah, I think a lot of bad performances. Yeah, I think if we're looking at the teams that impressed just the most in bowl season, um, you know, I would probably point to Tennessee and Bama. I think Tennessee yes. defensively, and I, and I wrote about some of this, what they were able to do defensively and squeezing Clemson. Um, you know, people made a lot of the missed kicks and the errors and all that stuff. Well, there's a reason why Clemson was kicking those field goals. Clemson is unbelievably efficient in the red zone. Uh, I believe they're number four nationally in red zone scoring percentage, number two in touchdown percentage. I might have flipped those, but they're very good. It's <laughs> the point. And they were kicking. They were, I mean, those misses weren't like 25-yard misses from BT Potter. Like there was one from beyond 50, a couple from beyond 40. The rather hilarious fake field goal that made no sense uh Dabo Sweeney's uh child out here faking a field goal I believe his pitch man was the kicker who yeah. did not get the ball I, I would have liked to have seen the kicker getting the ball on the edge with some pursuit angles uh that would have been fun anyway Tennessee's defense showed up um they pressured the heck out of Cade Klubnick who I you know yeah. I think you know Cade Klubnick I think is going to be very very good I think he has a really good head on his shoulders and maybe almost as importantly, an unbelievable arm on his shoulder. Yes. But when you don't have a clean pocket, when you're running for your life and when he was so, he's so young that I think he started seeing ghosts pretty early where he's fleeing, yeah. uh, he's fleeing clean pockets. We're like, dude, set, settle down, settle down. Yeah. Um, and that, 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 you know, that's a credit to Tennessee because they, they clearly got in his head um, and Tennessee's defense on the short list of the most impressive things I saw this bowl season, um, but so. like you mentioned, but like you mentioned, Alabama. But I, it's like it's a credit to Nick Saban. Go ahead. Well, I was gonna say it's almost like because if we're looking at this in terms of like meaning, right? Like mm-hmm. Bama's whenever Kansas State give them all they that was a great, great, great performance. But I don't know if that's telling me much about Bama going into this offseason because they are losing mm-hmm. most of their best players in a lot of ways. It's like Tennessee's I actually felt like means the most because one of our prompts is most like best performance in the sec and i think tennessee is my answer for that reason one everything you said give that defense so much credit they did really make life hard for him but it's like that a lot of those pieces are pieces and and you know turning to joe milton and be able to do this without so many other stars opting out or being injured things like that that actually is like all right i am i am buying a little more stock than i maybe would have about like can hype will do this again you know not mm-hmm. this but like can he keep this program rolling so i think that is my biggest winner of bowl season. Yeah, you could even make an argument for LSU just by how like good they look, but still like no. But yeah, I think Tennessee's the big winner. And I, I think that people forget, like, people want to look at at uh uh you know bad numbers in general. Like this offense is not meant to lock people down, they don't have the personnel for that, mm-hmm. they face too many plays. This defense that Tennessee has is built to get defenses behind the chains and create more uh possessions. They wanted that's yeah. that's the whole thing, right? They don't have they know they Tennessee cannot recruit the kind of talent that Georgia's defense can create. No. Right? Can, they, it's not gonna happen. So you have an attacking defense that, that they blitzed more than anyone else in the SEC this year. Uh 
They want to come after you, pressure you. And like we saw, when you could pressure the quarterback, it masks some of your issues in the secondary. Now, they can be more talented in the secondary. The secondary, Tennessee's got some issues there. They can be better, more talented there. But that, I think, is a small proof of concept against a very – I like Clemson's offense with Clay Klubnick. Not as huge a fan of them with DJ Uyungle, but um, that's a proof of concept. And then, obviously, the Joe Milton piece – uh, which we will tackle. Catherine B asks, is Joe Milton the best returning quarterback next season? Ooh. I don't think you no, can say I, that. I, yeah. I, I, Just because there's still they, so much need, unknown. Tennessee, you need Joe Milton. Can Joe Milton d- be that guy for 12 games? Wait, KJ Jefferson, to me, might be the best. Yeah, KJ Jefferson is probably the answer. Yeah. But to, to be, to, for Tennessee to win, nine, ten games again to sniff the playoff again. You need elite play at quarterback. They got that in Hennon Hooker, obviously. They need Nico Iamaliava to be a special talent. That's how you keep this going. I mean, as much analysis as we put into all this and all the things that you look at and all the stars mattering and all this stuff, all that's true. But I actually think Clemson is a decent case. Clemson was elite when they had Trevor Lawrence, when they had Deshaun Watson. They were fantastic teams. They were playing slightly above their weight class in how they recruited. They were recruiting yep. like top 15 levels, not to the level yep. Clemson, Alabama, but in the ACC, they didn't necessarily need to. Well, they turned the page to DJU. They're suddenly not elite at quarterback. And then now they've had three consecutive seasons where they have not won more than 10 games or I haven't got that a 12 game yep. spot or, or been in the playoff, obviously. I'm not sure. Like the Clemson question is interesting. I'm not sure it's that much more complicated than like you need to have an elite quarterback. If you have one, I think O line play has gone down too. I think that's like yes, a little bit in tandem, but yeah, yes. If you have an elite quarterback, your ceiling is. I'm not sure you got one, quite frankly. As long as you have enough pieces everywhere else, um, so that for Tennessee, I think defensively they are who they are, but you need to be you need Joe Milton to be great. And obviously the pieces are there. The arm talent, we don't even need to get into. Like, yeah. you know, it is what it is. You know you got a guy who the sky's the limit, but can you be more accurate? Yeah, and like to, to answer Catherine's question, like you could probably make an argument Joe Milton has the highest – I mean, I hate saying highest upside, but like the highest percentage of being like, holy crap, good. Like, Yeah, that no is question possible. to me. That is – yeah, pro- yeah, maybe no question. I think if you ask me who the best returner – I'm a big KJ Jefferson guy, but like yeah, Jane I'd go Daniel, KJ Jefferson. Personally. I think I go KJ, but Jane Daniels has kind of proven it. Like he did just win the West. Like I don't want to disregard that, but I think I say KJ Jefferson, and which I think he's my nominee. One of our things is most impressive SEC performance. Like I think for me, it is KJ Jefferson. Like that can I know it's Kansas. The defense wasn't great and all that, but KJ Jefferson in that game was just like it just because he was so hurt this year and like that all like things were a little messy this year it reminds you of like kj jefferson when he's on is tebow esker in a way like just like he is a wrecking ball and a better passer than he gets credit for like i'm not saying he's in there dialing and making four progression beautiful processing and all that but mm-hmm. like he's a really good quarterback and i think he kind i think arkansas i don't know what to make of them next year I don't. I literally don't. Actually, I feel very unconfident, but I am confident. A lot of portal losses. They, yes. Yeah. It's it's that defense. Can... The honeymoon has ended with with Arkansas fans and Sam Pittman. Arkansas is is feeling like a wild card. They've it's lost a lot. So of, hard to figure out. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it's like the defense was already a massive problem this year, and like 
there's not any evidence it's going to get better. So maybe KJ Jefferson's last year will be like kind of meaningless, which is unfortunate, but KJ Jefferson could just put up stupid numbers next year. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, another candidate for like best performance, I think uh, for the for a team is a team that didn't win, but I still come away from South Carolina in that bowl game. And we've spent so much time on South Carolina. We don't have to spend too much more, but like, for about three quarters, I was talking to people about just like, man, they're really going to do it. Like Shane Beam, it wasn't even about mm-hmm. the win because this is a winner loss doesn't change anything about that game to me. Like they look like they were the better team for quite a while. I'm coming out of the game being like they belong with the top 15 ish. No, I don't. That's arbitrary. But they just even with some of their best players opted out, they just belong. They they keep playing hard. It's just and we keep repeating like if Shane Beamer is doing this before he's even really recruiting at a special level. What can he do as this momentum gets going? So I think South Carolina is probably my like number four winner of, of bowl season for the SEC. Mm-hmm. Brody, let's look at some of the teams who had not the best bowls, and and and, and you tell me how alarming how yes. alarming it is. We got. I guess we got to start with Florida. I think who... that's my most alarming. I know they were like depleted too, but like. Because Kentucky looked the ugliest, right? But, like, Kentucky had clear reason for being – like, Florida was kind of embarrassing. And I – like, the thing about – like, I think that kicked, makes me They a kicked little, a sad field goal, Brody, which made kicked it worse. a sad field goal. It's from Billy Napier, of all people. It's scared money don't make money. Yeah. And it's just, like, I think early in the year I was giving Napier credit for how hard his team was playing. And, like, hey, they're not that good. No one should be judging Billy Napier by going 6-6. Six and six, But, like – or seven to five, I forget what they finished, but like, but still, like, he's gonna get this in the right direction. I still generally think that, but something about that bowl just made me be like, all right, let's we'll see, because that was concerning how bad that looks. I think that's my biggest like question mark performance. Yeah, and I, you know, Florida has been on a roller coaster all season, right? Because you know we're sitting there after the the Utah game to start the season, and Utah to Utah's credit. They didn't quite sniff the playoff, but they won the Pac-12. They're in mm-hmm. the, the Rose Bowl. Utah was pretty much as good as people thought. They didn't. They weren't quite. I I think I picked Utah to go to the playoff um, preseason. Yeah, I like that. Um, but um, you know, we're sitting there and we're wondering wh- who this Florida team is. And by the season's end, that team was kind of what we thought it was going to be. They didn't sort of have that. And I think Anthony Richardson probably made the right decision to leave um, and to. You know, because I feel like another year he's only going to get picked apart. Like I think his, he has enough weaknesses that I think another year the odds of it hurting him were probably just as good as the odds of it helping him. And maybe he's more um, pro ready and more developed with another year. Yeah, but that's also money that you're not making <laughs> yes. as a first round pick. Uh, and listen, we're in the NIL era, but uh, first round quarterback. If the feedback you're getting is you're a first round quarterback, you go, you go, you're yeah, gonna get coached more, go. man. Like, exactly. And uh, you know, your life is just generally better because you don't have to split time with school, and it's and a you good can point. Sort of do what you want to do. So, anyway, it is what it is. I, in general, Florida concerning. We'll, we'll see what the offseason looks like. We, we in the chat we we're talking about the Grand Mertz pickup. I, I'm, I'm. He- Listen, I get with the Grand Mertz stuff because they had struck out on some other candidates and some other portal guys that you that they didn't like. But I will say this: this is this is my Grand Mertz slow play. Ooh. 
Wisconsin's offensive scheme. Yes. And, and what Billy Napier can do and what he tries to do with his quarterback and in his offense. I like the Mertz tools. I get why there was so much hype around him. And the way that their offense was designed under Paul Chris and what they asked him to do. This is going to be one of those. We talked about this. Was it the last show or two shows ago? I don't even remember. Yeah. I get the that the Graham Mertz that you saw at Wisconsin, I don't know is necessarily going to be the same guy that you get at Florida. And I understand yes. maybe I'm wrong. But I think in a different scheme, this might be a situation where you see a guy flourish and look very, very different. I'm, I don't know that I'm putting all my all my mortgage on that, but I'm just saying if it happens, I'm not gonna be yeah, like I, I like to put it what do we do? Like, I like to put it in video game terms often. Like I don't think either of us are saying we think Graham Mertz might go be a 95, but like his rating yes. probably right now is like a 70. Like it's low stock. Yes. And it's like, yeah, he might be an 80 with a simple like a better scheme that's more quarterback friendly. And like I think we forget often just like how often in college football quarterbacks just look bad in a system that is just and also we're going to see like how well fickle and phil longo do in wisconsin that like maybe we really do learn how flawed wisconsin was so yeah we're not catherine we're not hyping up grammars we're just saying like let's not all the hate was probably a little bit much i just think like wisconsin and what they ask and their passing concepts and all that stuff it's not I don't know that anybody's going to set the world on fire at quarterback in that offense. And I think some quarterbacks can set some parts of the world with some embers somewhat in really your system. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was at a bar like uh, in Orlando and I I said to somebody, I'm like, man, you ever feel like half our job now is just arguing with fans, defending players. We don't even think that highly of. And I'm just like, that's (laughs) half my job now is just being like, I no, suppose. this guy isn't like the worst player, but he's probably like the third worst. I'm like, what am I doing with my life? But <laughs> yes, so I I'm I like Mal- I like Malik Neighbors. Big year, I think, ahead for him, Brody. There you go. <laughs> I think Malik Neighbors <laughs> is a star. But we can get to that later. Um, yeah. The other guy that, that I think you have some concerns about. Yeah. I, I'm I'm willing to hit the reset button on Kentucky uh, in general. Uh, I think for one, you get Devin Leary. You bring back Liam Cohen. I like that. Both those things. I, I think I, I, I'm going to say it's a one out of 10 on the Kentucky alarm systems. I think, you know, that combo getting Liam Cohen back is like unbelievable to me that they pulled that off. First of all, yep. uh, it was not working with Rich Scangarello, all that stuff, but I, man, the potential is off the charts for Kentucky to bounce back and have a really, really nice year. That's um, if they're able to because you look at you look at what they did. Yeah, you look at what they did from 2020 to 2021. It wasn't that complicated. They added a new OC. They added Will Levitz. Very unproven. Devin Leary is much more proven than Will Levitz is. True. But what did they do, Brody? They added a quarterback. They added an OC. Both of which significantly more proven than they were coming into 2021. We know I will always point out. We know what he can do. A terrible Kentucky season is now seven and five. What also true. tell tell yourself that ten years ago? So yeah, I'm with you. We shouldn't panic. Like it and looks you really Mark bad. Stoops, which I was not. If you had if you had told me gun to my he head, spent a lot of time the season, on the show talking about some other possibility. Yeah. Is Mark Stoops Kentucky's head coach in 2023? I probably would have said no. 
and I would have guessed like Barry and Brown would be gone just because of how ugly things were getting. And like, I mean, who knows? More guys might leave. Season's over now. But like, if they're holding on to some of those pieces that are pretty exciting, like, yeah. I mean, why am I? I'm not gonna like ride a Kentucky hype train for next year. I'm just with you. I don't think there's much need to to panic. I'm excited to see what Leary and Co can do next year. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I think my other. Oh, go on. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I've had it. I think my other concerning team was. I'm not going to make much of it, but like Ole Miss just kind of, they clearly were outplayed by Texas Tech. I think that was just evident, both sides of the ball. I just think that, and it's just like you go from seven and zero to what they finish eight and five, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. it's, we never were that impressed with the seven wins, but at some point you're like seven and zero, you earned it. But then it's just you you lost to every good team, you a really good team you played, a really competent team you played, and some teams lost to some teams that weren't that good. And it's like this was always a transfer portal team. So maybe I should just not overreact to the losses and just see the big picture. Like that's probably the actual responsible thing to do is just see eight and four and not see one and four. But I think that's my one where it's concerning just because like we you and i are such big infrastructure guys right we are so big mm-hmm. like i can't do you have the year in year out sustainability and i'm just mm-hmm. not sure what those bedrocks i mean they have some great you know quinton Judkins. they got some great young pieces but i'm not sure what that bedrock is for Ole miss going into another offseason i just don't know i think the team that really impressed me before they even took the field um i i like this alabama coach uh, Brody, I think he can do some things. I think he has shown some real promise that I think down the line Alabama can do some special things. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, Nick Saban talked a little bit about the opt-outs um, and talked about, hey, you create value for yourself by playing football. That is true. I also, in the same breath, don't know what value Bryce Young and Will Anderson could have created for themselves by playing in that cotton bowl uh, or sugar bowl rather excuse me and yet they did brody and i don't know what wizardry nick saban did to get those guys to play and to show up and to play the full game and play the way that they did against kansas state a very hungry team that plays above its weight class i mean i loved kansas state all season long i picked them to win the big 12 first half they looked better too they did and that, and then you go down ten nothing, and Bama says, "No, no, 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 no." Deuce Vaughn, I appreciate your eighty-eight yard touchdown, but like, Bama, we're still going to be Bama, and here's a thirty-five piece dropped on your head, and you went from up ten nothing to down thirty-five ten. And I think if they play that game a hundred times, Bama probably wins it eighty-five times. But I'm not sure how many times they win it that dominantly. And so, yeah. I'm going to say, yes, they lose a lot of the personnel, and I think. This year we've talked about, oh, you know, is Bama, have they shaken from the standard? And I think some of the ways that's true. But I think it speaks to the culture and the investment in the program that clearly what Nick Saban says is still resonating with guys, even when they are. I mean, Will Anderson and Bryce Young, they're probably the top two picks. I don't know. You know, the Bears will have to choose probably between Jalen Carter and Will Anderson at number two. two But – Either way, they're two of the you know f- five best players in the country, and I think everyone, myself included, expected. Well, Bama's not in the playoff, so like, what's the point in Bryce Young playing? Will Anderson protect yourself? All these things, and there's value in protecting yourself. But I think 
to me, it speaks to the control that Nick Saban still has over his program, and that when he speaks, clearly guys pay attention. Um, you know, Nick Saban's not going to demonize guys that opt out, but clearly he's like, play football, guys. You're here to play football, finish the job. And so I, that, to me, for all of the questions that Alabama has and presented this season, and it was not a great team, and they have a lot of issues they got to fix in the offseason, infrastructure, yeah. It seems like it's that the bones that are good. It's very loudly. It speaks very loudly to me that Alabama, those guys play and they show up and they beat a very hungry K State team because that K State team, listen, I covered the Big 12 for a long time. When you get a piece of Bama or Georgia or one of these big teams in a, in a listen, it's it's their Super Bowl. K State wanted that one and they didn't get it because Bama showed up. No, I think it's a really, really, really good point going into this offseason. And it's like, I think one of the best things of this past weekend was that luckily the three, four teams played so well in the playoffs. So we didn't have to have like a should Bama be there debate. But mm-hmm. like what I think we saw this with Alabama was a little bit of kind of confirming Nick Saban's laughable case that he was going on every TV show to make, you know, before playoff selection of like, Hey guys, remember Bryce Young was hurt most of the year. And like, look out, like, this is how we've played when we're actually like full strength and all that. And that wasn't a nothing argument, like, especially the Tennessee and, you know, maybe the early stuff, not so much, but the Tennessee game, the LSU game, like that's not nothing. And I think you did see in that game. And maybe that's why Bryce Young wanted to play a little bit too, is show that, but like, they showed what they could be, and they showed, like, in, in a vacuum, yeah, they're the fifth-best team or fourth-best team. Like, they are. That's just the reality. So I do think, like, Bama going into an offseason with nobody really, like, excited about them, the scariest thing on earth. I'm so scared of that. Like, because I have no idea who the quarterback is next year. I have no idea who so – I don't – I got Cooley McKinstry's back, Dallas Turner's back. There's not that much I'm, like, the knowledgeable of this Bama team like I normally am. But that scares the crap out of me because I know they're loaded. I know they've got talent, and I know Nick Saban and that you know that entire staff is going to make some things happen. So yeah, mm-hmm. man, I, I think Bama's like the buy low team of twenty twenty three. Yeah, uh, Jonathan Gaines says he wants me to circle back to the. I don't know what. Why do we have anonymous in quotes here? They just were. Uh, yeah, wait, wait, wait. Georgia. Yeah, what are you questioning? I don't know Jonathan? what that means. I don't know what that, that means, they were named. Who quote unquote. Let's not say they trashed Georgia for you prior to the Tennessee game. Maybe they want to issue a mea culpa. It wasn't so much trashing Georgia as much as the coaches really believed that Tennessee could go. And I'll just tell you, I'll give you a preview. Uh, I, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think if there was how much crossover there was. I talked to eight coaches so far. I saw some calls out. If somebody wants to give me some calls this afternoon, I think there's only everyone's listening. There's probably only one coach I think that I talked to for the midseason piece that I also talked to for okay. this piece. I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, it wasn't so much trashing Jordan as much believing in Tennessee and believing that they could they could uh, emphasize some things. It was believing but in Tennessee I'll tell you and the, questions about Georgia, and then Georgia yeah, answered. Yeah, and I think you know, the, it doesn't make the it questions wrong. about Georgia are still there. There's going to be a Actually there's a true, big yeah. piece of Keely Ringo in there. Keely Ringo is like the most polarizing guy. Like for coaches, like and then because uh, he was so good in the Tennessee Ringo. game, but then he like raised he the questions again later. Yeah, and Keely Ringo, the 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 advanced numbers on him don't tell a nope. great story. They do not. Um, but he's probably going to be a top ten pick. Listen, it, it, it's Keely Ringo is really really interesting, and coaches are very very torn on him. Uh, there's one coach <clears throat> that I talked to who said he's the best coach or he's the best corn in the SEC, and there's one that said that hey. Yeah. We saw a lot of deficiencies in him on tape. 
there's some issues with Ringo. So uh, we'll see. I, I think, you know, he was unbelievable in that Tennessee game. Um, and uh, Andrew Cooper says you can never really read that too much in that game. Never trust rain games. And the stadium was wild. Atmosphere somewhat. There was one co- – it was like a um, – uh, one, co- I don't think it's going in the story because it's not that interesting, but there was like a storyline of like, you can tell us. I'm sorry, just kidding. Yeah, exactly. Just me being a jerk. There's a storyline of like, oh, well, if that game was indoors or on turf, or you know, it would have been maybe played out a little bit differently. But mm. there was one coach who literally said, like, you know, I don't, I would have liked to have seen what that game like looks like if Tennessee gets to play and like, you know, it's like it's raining. So, like, they, you know, Tennessee, they live off of, you know, haymakers they couldn't really hit any of those haymakers i would argue some of that's off the protection issues but how much of that protection issues are you know aided by the rain when you're trying to to uh you know pass protect i, I don't really know i just thought it was interesting that one of the coaches brought up like the, the conditions um that's of, interesting because like- we were talking about we were talking about like because he was saying like georgia just has not faced a lot of teams that can really throw it on you they were like yes georgia uh that was like tennessee and um, uh, and Oregon were the only two teams that they really placed all year that can really chuck it. And we didn't really even know that about Oregon initially. But we obviously yes. knew that by the end of the season. And they said, well, they, they threw Tennessee some looks that they weren't prepared for, and then they matched up personnel-wise. But with, with, with Ohio State, it was just very different because they could do some different things. They could match up with them athletically. They could protect a lot better. So they weren't – nobody was really that surprised. And then the LSU came up a lot. Um, that Gar- the Garrett Nussmeyer thing, like I know, it was a blowout, but like, yeah, to our to our point, like Garrett Nussmeyer did just throw three hundred yards in one half on them, and yeah, again, it was, it was a weird context. Like awesome. we shouldn't overreact to it, but like that is but, what we're talking about with the Ohio State style and the TCU style of like running around and making stuff happen, and Garrett, like they he embarrassed them to an extent. One coach, one coach did talk about like. Ohio State watched that LSU film and they did a lot of the same things. Yep. <laughs> They're like they took a lot of what LSU did and exploited a lot of it. And maybe TCU can do that. TCU obviously doesn't have the personnel that Ohio State does, and yep. even without Jackson Smith and Jigba, you know they still they don't have them. Like uh, Quentin Johnston, you know, if you want to compare him to Marvin Harrison Jr., I mean Marvin Harrison Jr. probably slightly better, but mm-hmm. like they're still like two elite pretty receivers. Great it's it's kind of whatever, but the depth may not necessarily be there. Um, but a lot, you know, it, it's just, uh, it's very, very interesting. I just learn a lot, you know, just talking ball with some of these coaches, like Definitely. the way that they sort of see things. And in some ways it confirms the things that you see and that you're like, okay, I, I do see these things correctly. And it's not that they will say things that make you totally reassess things, but you just kind of look at things a little bit differently of like, oh, well, that's interesting. And so we try to portray that to readers. And I think our, we try to make our readers smarter. That's sort of the goal of these pieces. I think I can't remember if we talked about it on the show, Brody, but I did think it was very funny. I think the best uh, conspiracy theory that I heard was that Kirby Smart uh, told Sam Pittman to call me to talk anonymously to give Georgia motivation against Tennessee. <laughs> well, answer the question, David. Is that true? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's like funny. Like, you didn't deny it. You didn't not- deny it right now. You just exactly, laughed at it. Exactly. So. So I think people, I think Still like people want to, people want to like get more sinister with some of this stuff than it really is. When it's just like, no, like it's usually just a guy I'm being just, like, yeah, let's talk football for a minute. Like, yeah, just, I'm just like, I'm just interested in like what coaches think about this game that everyone watched and everyone, because like I talked to them a lot about like, hey, what do you think of the semis? Like anything stood out to you? And uh, uh, you know, it's just sort of like you just 
that's what it is. It's like I just want to see what the coaches think and get their perspective. It's very interesting. It's not much deeper than that. So uh, this one I think is just as interesting, and it should be up tomorrow. So go ahead and and read it. But uh, Brody, can we end on? I want to know your pick against the spread on Georgia TCU. I really want to know. Yeah, like it's hanging so, on like 13, 12 and a half. Yeah, I'm going to take TCU in the points, personally. I I, I, I think they, they play above their weight class. I think schematically they can do some things to give Georgia some trouble. Um, I, I I think Georgia win. It's hard for me to see TCU winning this game, Yeah, but I also don't think you want to give Max Duggan the ball down six with two minutes left. Yep. I'd be real nervous if that happened, if I was Georgia. Um, will he get in that situation? I'm not, I'm not sure that he will, but... I will nervously take TCU in 13 and a half, I guess. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I think there's some pe- there's definitely some some people who think that that, that Georgia's going to run away with this game, and maybe they will, but yeah. I just think this TCU team is too tough, too mentally tough, uh, physically tough. They're hitting. Uh, Andrew Cooper says two gamer QBs should be fun. That's true. That's, a, that's really – yeah, that's going to be really fun. Uh, two guys that, man uh, – they're they're getting it done. They have a lot to prove. It's it's gonna be very two guys weird. who show their emotions very vividly. I, I'm here for that as well. Yeah. I yes. Uh, so I'm excited about it. Um, Brody, if we it is football and grits. I feel like we should hit. Oh, no. We both been. You were in Orlando, right? I was. Not exactly a culinary paradise. No, um, I, I was in Miami. Which yeah. Was what very what was the best thing you ate in Miami? Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I had some pretty good shrimp down there. I'm trying to think. Uh, I need to go back. Here's what we're going to do, Brody. We're going to look at my expenses. <laughs> we're going to go back through my meals. And I'm so, going to think about exactly what I, I ate. Go ahead. Well, Orlando, I'm not a, I didn't love Orlando. I'm just going to say it. Uh, Orlando's kind of like the you don't have Square. You don't have two kids, so it is. Yeah, exactly. Orlando's kind of like the Times Square of America. It's just like, mm-hmm. why is there Giordano's pizza in orlando like it's just like it's a chicago pizza place like there's wawa there's like there's just so much like inner like national stuff that's just randomly there i ate a lot of wawa because i am from jersey and we talk about this but i also Mm -hmm. i didn't eat anything local i apologize but i did finally i tried giordano's just out of like i've lived near chicago all these years and never had it i hated it it's just a cheese pie it's just like so much cheese. I like it. It's all right. It is I what it I'm is. Not, I'm, I, I hate hating on things people like. So you're right. I shouldn't do that. But like, <laughs> it just was not for me. I actually respect it. Like, it's cool that I think I am a believer there is such thing as too much cheese. And I did not particularly enjoy it. So, yeah. All right. I found my answer. I yes, have two please. answers for you, Brody. I had to go back to my expenses because I forgot. I ate a lot of good food. Jealous. So I stumbled upon this place in downtown Fort Lauderdale, <clears throat> uh, which, by the way, the media hotel at the Orange Bowl was fine, but it was uh, by the Fort Lauderdale airport. So you're like not – location left a bit to be desired. I'm told it's a little different when they have the playoff, but whatever. <clears throat> so I went up to Fort Lauderdale, stumbled upon this place called Casa Sensei. I know. Latin-Asian fusion. Latin-Asian fusion. Oh, that's what I thought. So it was uh, – That's your sweet So spot. I had – it is. It you very love much is. The Asian fusion, yeah. One thousand percent. So I had uh, uh, Florida blue crab rangoon. So it's like oh higher quality God. crab. It was so good. And then I had, and you'll appreciate this, Brody, Korean steak chimichurri. Sold. Yeah. 
So it's skirt steak marinated in uh, basically a bulgogi sort of yeah. flavor. But it's like Mexican skirt steak and then with chimichurri like over the top of it with some fried plantains. It was unbelievable, Brody. It was so good. Like, listen. That no, uh, that sounds unbelievable, and I want it very bad. It's a very Cafe globalist. Sensei, I'm it's a very it a globalist plate. Let's. We need to. We need to. Uh, we need to unite uh, uh, Latin America and Asia. Maybe I go together. Relive college. Get him in the go kitchen. back to Fort Lauderdale for spring break. You know, and just hit it up. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. Get him in the. Get him in the kitchen together. And then also, I ended up in downtown Hollywood um, at the Ooh. Tipsy Boar uh, barbecue. No, uh, it's just like a it's, sports bar place. Okay. I, I was. I needed a quick lunch. I was working. I can't remember how I ended up there. That's Hollywood okay. was like the closest like strip of like places that from the hotel. That's when you were staying in like Dan- Dania Beach. Uh, very good duck wings with an apple slaw. Oh, I've had duck I've never wings had, once in my life. I've never had duck wings before, and I, I asked because I asked the I asked the waitress. I was like, "Listen, um, I want something." I didn't say light, but like not like a full entree. And I was mm-hmm. like, I'm torn between like the pork belly sliders and the duck wings. And she was like, well, she's like, I like the pork belly, but I also don't really like duck, which that was a red flag. But she's like, whenever I serve people, these are always like, they're amazing. Okay. They were so good, Brody. What was like the flavor on it? I don't even, that's the thing. I don't Ooh. even know. It was like a, it was like a spicy apple, something or other. I don't know. I should have asked what the sauce was. But it definitely it was very apple forward, which was very okay. weird on a wing. But then it had like a kick to it. I don't know what it was. It was so good. Though. All right. Like, tipsy boar and Cajun sensei. All right. I'm in. Yeah. I mean, not Cajun. Casa Cajun sensei, sensei would be fascinating. Casa now that, now that's yes. Shrimp and grits with uh, teriyaki sauce or something. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but I feel like that's going down a dangerous, dangerous road. Uh, but I did have some good seafood. I got a little bit darker, uh, which is nice. Got some nice. beach time. Look great. Um, but anyway, bowl season's always fun. I'll be in LA this week. Uh, we'll probably be back talking about the, the title game at some point, bro. Yes, yeah, we will. Soon, so. I insist. But that will do it for this week's episode of a literal football and grits episode. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any grits while I was down there. I did almost order shrimp and grits, but so I did not. Genuinely not literal. Yeah, not literal at all. Yeah. Well, <laughs> football and food. So that's always, <laughs> that's always good. Thank you guys for tuning in. Yeah. It's been a fun show. Thanks for commenting. Asking questions. It was very good. We got, was, we got one game left before we hit the desert of the offseason. Um, I'm going to miss it. I, I'm going to go on paternity leave a little bit after the season, finish up that leave and spend some time with my adorable baby daughter. So uh, we'll finish that up. But thank you guys for listening. We'll be back. I think we're going to do a post. We haven't really talked about it. We'll probably do a post-national championship show of yeah, some kind. I don't know I'm if it'll be an Andy Staples show crossover or a football and grits pure show. I don't know. But Yes. Um, Elias, our old friend, got me pondering what would work in a duck burrito. In general, duck is the most disrespected, misused oh, protein in America. It's, it's unbelievable. Lamb. Use lamb more. Yes. Use lamb in everything and use duck in everything. I know duck. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know the but... availability of duck. Yeah, it exactly. It feels like it's overpriced. I don't know how hard it is long, to. But... Well, I don't know how hard it is to. Uh, like buy in bulk. Duck yeah. in general. But I feel like as a nation, we need to embrace the duck more. Um, so go Oregon, I suppose. Football and quacks <laughs> or something. I don't know. Um, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Thank you guys uh, Thank for you guys. tuning in. Uh, more duck talk next episode, I'm sure. I don't think I'm gonna have any duck. I'm in LA. I was I was going through my schedule in LA this week, Brody, and it's gonna be very packed. I have very little free time, so uh, it's gonna be a very busy 
a very busy time. So uh, Tony Yayo says, I've never had duck. Get some duck. Thank you guys. Uh, well, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you for tuning into football and grits and go ahead and listen to Ari's intervention on the Andy Staples <laughs> show. Yes, please do. Star, uh, stars matter. Parentheses, but slightly less in the portal era. Thank you guys. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.